Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 23. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. How do you show that you are someone who possesses the Holy Spirit, someone who has living within them God himself? You show the fruit of the spirit in your life. You evidence that that you are you are someone who has the marks of the spirit, someone who from the inside out is being changed day by day. And yes, you are not perfect yet, but, but God is making you more and more every day. Like who? Like, like Jesus Christ. See, that's what we've been seeing in this series uh, uh, focused on the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. We've seen that the fruit of the Spirit is just another way of saying that God wants to make you like Jesus. He wants to connect you to that vine, Christ. And then he wants your lives to, to ooze, as it were, with, with that sweet, the sweetness of Christ. And so we've, we've seen that that looks like becoming more loving, becoming more peaceful, becoming more patient, becoming more kind, becoming more good. And yes... Last but not least, it also looks like becoming more self-controlled. Now, control is something that um, we probably have mixed emotions about. I mean, it's nice to have control, isn't it? In fact, a lot of us want to have control even over things that we shouldn't have control over. And we grapple for that. Um, But the one thing that we should have control over, ourselves, our emotions, our passions, is in fact the thing that I think... (laughs) We, we overlook the most and the thing that we struggle the most with. And that's the kind of control that God says you can have. Not only can you have control over your, yourself and your actions, but you must, if you are a Christian, 
Demonstrate that kind of control more and more in your life. Self-control is something you must pursue by the grace of the Lord Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit in your, in your lives. Now, we're going to see this. We're going to finish this series on the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to do this by, by, by once again seeing how none of this is just, hey, buck up and try harder. Get control of yourself, man. It, it is first and foremost... Drink deeply of the well of grace that is found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as you do that, that very grace is going to be your resource to live a life of self-control. Love holding the reins. What is self-control? What is self-control? Self-control is discipline and restraint. Self-control is temperance. Maybe your, your version of the Bible, if you have a King James version, it probably says you know, the fruit of the spirit is temperance. And uh, that's, that's right. That's another way of saying self-control. It's discipline, restraint, temperance. And I, I want to give you um, three different angles that really bring out what self-control is. First of all, self-control is the ability to manage the operation center of your heart in a worthy way. Now, I want you to imagine that if you were to look deep within your life, deep within the wellspring of your heart, you would see that your heart is a massive control center with many different operations. There's buttons everywhere. There's a big screen. And on those screen flashes your desires. I'm using an analogy, of course. On, your, on the screen of your life, Flashes all the desires, all the passions, everything you want to do comes up on that screen. And then the operation center of your heart starts to make sense of those. And, and, and there are various buttons you can press. You can press, go ahead, I'm going to do that. Or you can press a big red button, no, <laughs> let's hold on that. So self-control is the ability to not just press Go, 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 go for every desire that comes across the big screen of your life. But instead, it's, it's able to discern, no, this one is a no. Uh, yeah, this, this one is a yes. And you're, and you're able to process and proceed with the desires of your life in this managed way. Can you do that? Does that, does that look like you? Self-control is the ability to manage the operation center of your heart well. It's also the ability, here's another angle. It's also the ability to do the important thing over the urgent thing. Those aren't my words. There, there's a pastor who, who, uh, who I thought uh, had a really clever way of explaining self-control when he said that it's the ability to do the important thing over the urgent thing. Now, there are many things that feel urgent in this life, Right? Pretty much anything you really want to do feels urgent. I need this now. I need to do this now. Give me that right now. I want to buy this right now. Um, I, I, I want to lash out in anger right now. But the ability to stop and say, no, there's something more important. Now, that's self-control. Self-control is not impulsive. It's not knee-jerk reactions, but it's the ability to do the important thing 
over the urgent thing. And as I think of this, you know, you, you can think of people who are not in self-control, right? Those who just at a moment's notice will, will uh, go over the edge or will explode in a fit of anger. And it's like, what did I do to set them off? Uh, in fact, I was, I'll confess, when I was 12 or 13, my siblings knew that they could get me going and they could get me going fast. And I would get really riled up. And I was over visiting my parents the other day while I was preparing the sermon. And I saw an unfortunate uh, hole in their bathroom door. And I remembered the time when I had exploded in anger because my parents were, you know, my, my siblings were bothering me and my parents were, weren't affirming it. And bam, I punched right through that door. Um, and you can see that picture. You say, well, that kid, that guy did not have the ability to prioritize the important thing over the urgent thing. He just said, I'm angry. Here I go. Uh, well, that's not self-control, is it? No. Self-control is also, here's another, here's a final angle at this. It's also the ability to wait for what's truly better. The ability to wait for what's truly better. Now, there was a Stanford experiment, a famous experiment in um, self-control in, in, in kids. And what they did was they had the kids in a room and they had a camera in the room and they would place, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, a marshmallow. They would put a marshmallow on the table in front of uh, the kid and they would say, all right, you can eat this marshmallow once I leave the room. But if I come back and you haven't eaten it, you get two marshmallows. And you, you can watch this experiment and see how these kids just like, you know, <laughs> They're, they're trying to figure out, what do I do? I mean, if I eat this marshmallow, it's going to be good. But if I wait, there's more. And so they try all these creative things. And, and it's, it, the tension is real, folks. You can feel it. Well, that is what it's like for us when uh, we're on, on the brink of making decisions. Um, and we know, well, if I, if I wait, there's something far better. But, but I could just go in right now and, 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 and instant gratification which obviously is not self-control. The ability to manage the operation center of your heart, the ability to do the important thing over the urgent thing, the ability to wait for what's truly better. Now, friends, the Greek word for self-control in this passage, and it's used three times in the New Testament, it speaks of an inner strength, an inner ability deep within you. That's what self-control is. Self-control is uh, this steady strength and control over your desires. The ability to, uh, to, uh, to control your, your, uh, your feelings and to act accordingly. Do you have that steady strength over your desires, over your passions? Why do we need that steady strength? Why do we need self-control? You know, it's a decent question. Uh, why don't we say yes to every thought that runs through our heads? After all, you know, think about this. The world we live in looks at our desires and they say that those desires tend to define who you are. That to suppress your deep desires is somehow cruel. So why not just say, yeah, I want it. I take it. I'm angry. 
I'm exploding. I think it, it comes out of my mouth. Why not? Well, the Bible gives us a realistic answer. And that answer, of course, is what? Sin. Sin is why we need self-control. Every thought that passes through our minds into the operation uh, center of our heart and up on that big screen, every one of those thoughts is not neutral. But instead, the Bible is realistic enough to say that we are slaves to corrupt passions and desires. That the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. The kinds of thoughts that are flashing up on that screen are things we wouldn't want other people to see. Just look at Galatians 5.19. Right there in our passage, Galatians 5.19. And you'll see a picture of the person who follows their heart. Right? person who goes with the flow of their emotions and presses the green button go to everything that flashes on the big screen of their heart. What does it look like to be that kind of person? Well, it looks like a a person who's committed to the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. You see, That is what you get when you press go to all of your desires. Here's the reality. If we were to say yes to all of our desires, our selfish, sinful hearts would destroy ourselves and destroy other people. And you see that all the time, don't you? You see it all the time. Addiction that ruins people's lives. Impulsiveness that uh, rips apart relationships, that leaves people's bank accounts empty. Out of control lives. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls, defenseless. So here comes a passion and it says, I want this. And you just break down because you have no walls to deny that passion. Impulsive, addicted, out of control. Now, where did this all start? We know where it started. It started in the garden. Right there in Genesis chapter, chapter two, chapter three, Eve saw the fruit. She desired it, she took, she ate, and at no point was there any kind of operation center control where she said, stop, I'm going to deny my desire for this fruit. At no point did she say, wait, I want this, but God promised me the tree of life, something that's truly better. She did the urgent thing rather than the important thing. And... Adam joined her in this. And because of that first uh, initial lack of self-control, that impulsive decision, all of humanity has fallen into uh, giving into the selfishness of their own heart. Not denying themselves, but feeding themselves with passions that do not satisfy. Verse 
The world we see today, the sinful world we live in, it's an extension of that garden. And it's an extension of the corruption that has taken hold. We live in a world that has very few breaks. You know, behavioral science, I have family members that are experts in behavioral science. I've talked with them. It can give you this outward impression of of self-control. It can do some social good and say, all right, you probably don't want to be hitting people every time you're mad at them. So we're going to teach you that uh, there are negative consequences to that. Right? So behavioral science can kind of look like self-control, but it can't really get to the heart. It can just clean things up. And you take away the negative consequences, and guess what? You have a humanity that's kicking and screaming and fighting and, and uh, destroying themselves, burning themselves. I wonder where self-control is most tested for you. Where is it hardest for you? The Amazon shopping cart? Sitting in front of a bottle of beer? Endless Netflix binges when you know you should be doing something more productive at some point? When you're in front of the computer browser and no one's around? When the kids are whining and you start to feel yourself get pretty annoyed? When your spouse starts to say something and you start to feel pretty heated, pretty ticked off. Where is self-control tested most for you? Because when you look at that thing, you see, ah, I'm not so far off from Eve and Adam after all. And I desperately need mending. I need control over the operation center of my heart. Well, friends, there is good news. Say, give me the good news at this point. Here it is. Here's the really good news. The good news is that the Bible tells us that there is one who can fix our out-of-control hearts, and that is Jesus. And that's, he is, we don't have to guess whether he's the right kind of person to help us, because what do we see in Matthew chapter 4? A a, a savior, a victor, who exercised perfect self-control. Three times Satan came to him and appealed uh, to, to him with all these kinds of tempting desires. And Jesus saw the pull of those things, and yet he said, get away from me, Satan, for I know what is truly better. Jesus operated uh, the control panel of his human heart perfectly. He waited for what was truly better. Not instant glory, instant gratification, but the joy of the Father. Jesus exercised that inner strength all the way to the cross. And on the cross, he died on the cross for your, for your out-of-control hearts. That's what he was doing. Fixed on the cross for hearts that were out of control. And that's not all. Now, Jesus restores your self-control. Do you know how he does that? It's the very power that rose him from the dead. The very inner strength that he had uh, in, in exercises, even now, that very inner strength that we saw demonstrated on earth, he now gives you 
through the power that rose him to the dead, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you see, friends, because of Christ's resurrection, you are not a passive victim of your own selfish desires. No, you aren't trapped. Stop telling yourself that lie. If you belong to Christ Jesus, you have, through the power of the Holy Spirit, an inner strength that can say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait. I just hear so often uh, people who say, and I, I say this to myself, I guess this is just the, the kind of guy I am. I guess I'll just go ahead and do this. You know, I guess this is, uh, these are just my propensities. No, you are in Christ a new creation and that changes everything about you. The scripture says that you are more than conquerors through him, uh, through him who rose from the dead. And it means that you have a power within you that's greater than the power of sin. Second Timothy 1 7. I remember my mom teaching me this when I was a little kid and I was I was struggling with fear and fear just started to take over. I had no control over it. And my mom said, I want you to learn this passage. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of self-control. Love, power, self-control. So that in Christ Jesus, it's like you are holding the reins of love, guiding your life in this direction, past fear, past passion, and towards the things that really God says are truly better. Do you believe that that is you in Christ Jesus? Do you believe that you have that power in Christ Jesus? Power to say no? Or are you still lying to yourself, saying that you are a victim of your sinful desires? No. In Christ, you have power over sin. Uh, Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul just says it that clear. It's possible. In fact, because you belong to Jesus, this is more who you are than who you pretend to be when you sin. So friends, exercise exercise self-control. Do it. Be who you are in Christ Jesus. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? How do I I exercise self-control? Let me get very practical here. First, I want you to see that self-control, and here's the irony, it's not just saying yes to yourself, it's actually submitting every desire to Jesus. How do you really control yourself? Well, you do what Jesus says, not what you want. And so self-control is is this submitting to Christ. Again, you say, well, how do I do that? That feels so hard. You're going to need a plan. You're going to need a battle plan. Whenever you're talking about sin, you need some sort of strategy. Because we are very much in a battle. That's what uh, a battle over control for our hearts. 
1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Paul articulates this, that we need a battle plan. 24, uh, chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only the one who receives, uh, only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. See, you need a clear strategy. You need a training plan. Because simply resolving to be more self-controlled isn't going to work. I've made thousands of resolutions. I don't think many of them have actually stuck without a plan. Resolution is just not the same thing as repentance. It's easy to say, this is the last day I ever do that. I'm done spouting off to my family. I'm done um, uh, drinking until I'm drunk. This is it. I'm done. And then what happens the day after that, the week after that, the month after that? Where's the follow through? The follow through comes with a concrete plan that you stay committed to. The sound you're hearing outside is a car that's out of control. <laughs> he was doing this the other day, just spinning around a parking lot down here. And uh, it actually is a pretty good uh, analogy, if you think of it, of an out of control life. Uh, just a car doing wheelies. And then when the cops pull up, they take off. Wow. A concrete plan. Here's what a concrete plan looks like. You must actively place boundaries in your life in order to slow yourself down enough to hear the voice of wisdom and to choose what is good. Boundaries. Now that's going to look different for each of you. Each of you are going to have some sort of, you know, you're you're going to know your sin. You're going to know where you're most tested with self-control and you need to put boundaries in place. You say, well, that looks like weakness. Well, of course, it's admitting that you are weak, that you are subject to sin and saying, I need boundaries in place. I need distance between booze if, if, if booze is what I'm going to use uh, to, to drink myself into oblivion. You need distance uh, between pressing uh, buy now from the Amazon shopping cart if that's where you struggle most, right? You need something in place in your life to slow down in order to say no to the things that Jesus says no to and yes to the things that Jesus says yes to. Now, we need a concrete plan, something that actually looks at your boundaries and and is realistic about them. But you also need a public plan because you ought to include others in your fight for self-control. Sin wins when we struggle alone. It's going to be other people who can look at the boundaries you've set up and say, I think you're starting to pull back from these. I think you're in dangerous territory. Hey, did you notice that this area is completely defenseless in your life? Other people, wise Christian men and women who can look at your battle plan and say, yeah, this isn't holding up or yeah, yeah, I'm going to, it looks good and I'm going to pray for you and let's keep talking about this. So if if you haven't pulled someone in or if it's been a while, if if you've gotten into the habit of pushing people away from eyes fully on your battle plan, you need to pull them in and you need to keep them in somehow. 
It could be as as simple as if you're someone who tends to be pretty impulsive, you might just kind of Call some, have someone that you call up and talk to them every time you feel like you're, you're doing something out of control. Say, hey, I know th- this is one of those calls. What do you think? What do you think? A concrete plan, a public plan, but it, it must be a gospel plan. There is no three-step method to disciplined living. There, uh, there is no do this, this, and this, and you'll be great. Because Discipline and grace, discipline in the gospel is lived out only in a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. You see, that's where we're going to actually get the strength to call up the friend when we're struggling uh, with, with whether to make a decision or not. That's where we're going to have the strength to keep our boundaries in place. It's, it's when we're deep, uh, drinking deeply from the well of grace, seeing all who Jesus is, all who he is for us. That's the only way that you're really going to have the strength to follow through. So if you keep going back to Christ in doing this, not just to fix yourself up, but to know Jesus. A final reflection on the fruit of the spirit, and especially this final fruit of self-control. You know, disciplined living can sound negative, can't it? Like you're giving up on everything fun in life and joining, you know, the club of the killjoys. And, but I want you to notice this. According to Galatians 5.23, what you'll find is something guaranteed to be truly better if you commit to this. Look at verse 23. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is self-control against such things. There is no law. You know, there's no limit to Christ-likeness. It's like driving on the Autobahn. You know, no limit, no, no speed limit to, to, to uh, full speed ahead towards life in, in Jesus Christ. And that's awesome. Give me more. Give me more of Jesus. Give me more of the fruit of the Spirit. You can never have too much love, too much joy, too much peace. You can never be too much of a gentleman. You can never uh, exercise too much self-control. And God is saying, yeah, you're giving up on these things that tap out at the point of self-gratification. But what I'm giving you is something that is endless and beautiful. The possibility of living a life the way you were made to live it. The possibility of living life in Christ Jesus. Do you want that? Then let's go to him and pray. Heavenly Father, take away the speed limit in our, that we have set in our hearts for our progress towards righteousness. And Lord, any obstacles that we put up and say, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm not ready for that kind of love yet. I'm not ready for that kind of gentleness yet. I'm not ready to be that kind of patience. Lord, remove those kinds of speed limits. And may we, we go full speed ahead towards life in Christ. Lord, help us to, be, uh, to recover well when we slip up, when we fall into sin. May Christ be our guide. And Lord, help us to prefer what is truly better, not a life of instant gratification, which leads only to destruction and hell, 
but a life of waiting and glory in Christ Jesus. And Lord, along, along the way, give us every sign and encouragement that the way we're going is really the best way, for it leads us to Christ. We ask all of this in his name. Amen.